0: first chapter of the book of John. We'll read the first five verses of the Gospel of John together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let's bow together and ask God's blessing on our time as we study His Word. Our Father, though the darkness does hide Thee, and though the eyes of sinful men cannot see You, You have revealed Yourself in Your Word, and we are thankful for that. We ask that You would establish Your Word to us, Your servants, as that which produces reverence for You. That You would open our eyes to behold within Your Word wonderful things. That You would teach us about Your Son, about Your nature, and about Your grace and that You would help us now to understand these things, and that Your Spirit would be our teacher. We ask these things because we believe them to be Your will for us in Christ Jesus. Bless now this time in Your Word, we do pray in His name. Amen. Well, last time we were together, which was two weeks ago, we were in the book of John, chapter 1, and I know that Bruce was here last week, and so I'm going to give you just a little bit of a review this morning before we dive into verses 3 to 5. Uh Bruce was a little shaken when I told him that I just introduced the book of John because he told me about, oh, I'm going to say, 16 hours before he showed up here to preach that he was going to be in John 17. And I said, oh, I just introduced the book of John. And you could see that he was a little shaken. And he said, well, should I choose a different book to passages to preach on? And I said, no, because by the time we get to John 17, you will have forgotten that you preached that message in our church. So just go ahead and preach it and don't worry about it. So he did, and I'm grateful that he was here to fill in for me last week. John chapter one, the last time we were together two weeks ago, we looked at verses uh one and two, and we saw that this one who is the central character of the book of John is called by John the Word. And he, in the most clear and concise, and accurate and simple simplest terms possible, uh identifies the word with God and says the word is in his very substance and in his very nature, none other than God himself. In the beginning, that is before all things were created, in the beginning, as far back as your mind can go, was the Word. Continually existing was the Word. And that Word was with God. That is, He was not only uh, in relationship with God, but that Word was also in proximity with God. He accompanied God in that sense. But He was God. So He was both God and He was with God. And by saying that, John, of course... Safeguarded the distinction between the persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, while He equated the Word with God. The Word was with God, the Word was God. Back in the beginning, He was with God. So now we dive into verses 3 through 5, which we had to stop because we ran out of time, but not because we ran out of material. Verses 3 through 5 is the continuation of this explanation of who the Word is. And in verses 3 through 5, we see there are three more qualities or characteristics of the word in verse three we see that he is the creator by him all things came into being without him apart from him nothing was made that has been made then in verse four we see him as the life he is the life and then in verse five we see Jesus identified as the light so he is the creator he is the life and he is the light and those are the three points for this morning and we're going to finish up verse five this morning let's look at the first one All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. I want you to notice, first of all, and we take this for granted, but I just want you to observe it, that the Word is not a force, it's not a power, it's not an activity, and it's not an energy. It is a person. We cannot say that the Word, who was with God and was God, was merely God's creative force, God's creative power, or God's creative activity. It's not. It's a person. That's why John refers to Him as Him. He uses personal pronouns which are used to refer to persons. The Word is a person. The Word is not just a force. We cannot say that the person was God's creative activity or creative energy or His creative power. The Word is more than that. The Word was a person. We take that for granted because we understand that the Word was the Lord Jesus Christ. But some people would like to say that the Word was merely God's creative power and activity. It's not. It's just a separate person. John states the truth that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things two ways in verse 3. First, he states it positively from the perspective of the past. Then John states it negatively from the perspective of the present. Look at it. All things came into being through Him. That's a positive statement. All things came into being through Him. That's a positive statement from the perspective of the past. As a past act, at a past time, at a point in time, all things came into being through Him. Then John states it negatively from the perspective of the present. Almost saying the exact same thing in negative terms. Apart from Him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. From the present perspective, looking backwards at all that has come into being, nothing has come into being apart from the Word. So stated positively, all things came into being through Him. Stated negatively, apart from Him, nothing came into being. And I want you to notice that the totality, all of creation, is attributed to the Word. How many things came into being through Him? All things. All things. All things. And let me ask you a question. Think about this. What is a thing? A thing is something created, right? There are basically in existence two categories of beings. I'm avoiding the word thing because I don't want to call God a thing because God is not a thing. He's not created. There are two categories of beings. There is, on the one hand, that which never had a beginning, never came into existence, is eternal, always was, always is, and always will be. There is only one being in that category. In the second category is all other things. Everything that you have ever touched or seen or felt or tasted or smelled or heard, everything that you have ever encountered in your life had a beginning. Every person around you had a beginning. Everything you've ever been familiar with had a beginning. Anything you have ever encountered in your entire life had a beginning. Save one thing. God. He is the only thing that had no beginning. So John says that all things that had a beginning came into being by the Word. That is, by Christ. All things. Now what does that tell you about the Word? That He did not have a beginning. Because if He had a beginning, then John would have to say, everything except the Word came into being by the Word. He would have to qualify it. But everything that had a beginning came into being by the Word. He is the source and the creator of everything that had a beginning. So, He Himself did not have a beginning. Now, naturalists or skeptics or atheists, agnostics, um, naturalists are people who believe that nature is all that is and all that is is nature. Matter is all that exists and all that exists is matter and there's nothing outside of nature and matter. Naturalists and materialists would argue that everything around you just came into being. I was down at one of the, in fact, it was one of the uh, thunder evangelism things at the city beach and these two young guys were walking by and one of them had a big scar right down the side of his leg. I thought, no, oh, this will be a good opener. So I walked up with my tracks and I said, hey man, how'd you get the scar? And he told me it was um, something I never even heard of before, big long skateboards or big long like a snowboard on wheels or whatever he was doing. And he he biffed it and just took all the hide off the side of his leg and so I moved into that and I said, so tell me, I got a question for you guys. What do you think somebody has to do to get to heaven? And just get right to it, right? So I gave him the, I gave him the tracks and that started the conversation. We got halfway through the gospel. I was asking him if he has ever, uh, lied or stolen or blasphemed God's name and lusted and all of that. And finally the one kid, the, the one, the one young guy, he was probably was 16 or 17, he was more open. He kept looking at me sort of out of the corner of his eye waiting for me to sort of show my hands. And I was just asking questions up to this point. And the other young man, he was a bit more um, confrontative or combative. And and he said, look, man, I don't believe in any of the Bible that, that God exists or that God created anything. I said, well, how did all this stuff around here come into being then? Where did all this stuff come from? The trees, the sunshine, the air, the beach, the, the water in front of you, the sand. Where did this all come from? He said, it just is here. I said, what do you mean it's just here? Where did it come from? Well, a big bang. There's a big explosion, and and everything took the form that it is. And I said, do you think that happens today? Which they don't, right? I mean, you don't wake up one morning with a brand new car in your driveway and say, oh, well, that's just the, the consequences of the Big Bang. Things just pop into existence all over the place without any explanation whatsoever. You see a brand new car sitting in your driveway, you want an explanation because you know that the car being there has to have a cause for its existence. I said, you don't believe that about anything else. Why would you believe it about all the matter? You're telling me all of this just exploded and and took the form that it is. He said, yeah. I said, where did the original stuff that exploded come from? He said, it's just always been. So I said, you believe in the Big Bang? Yeah. I said, let me postulate something a little bit different. How about a Big Banger who Big Banged everything into existence? (laughs) That would seem to explain how everything could be here. Doesn't that make more sense? No, not at all. And boiled down to, and I told him this before he left, he wanted his sin and his darkness, and that's why he had to postulate something that came into being out of nothing. Look, naturalists, materialists, atheists, agnostics, skeptics, all of them have to admit that at some point something came into being. They say it was a big bang, it just appeared 15 billion years ago out of nothing. I say there was a big banger, and it wasn't 15 billion years ago, but about 6,000 years ago, just like the Bible said, who spoke into existence all matter, all time, all space, all energy, all motion, everything. And that He did it out of nothing. But He Himself is not created. He couldn't be, and God couldn't create Himself, and the Word couldn't create Himself, because for the Word to create Himself, He would have to exist before Himself to create Himself. So He had to eternally exist. And that boggles our minds. But that is what Scripture teaches. He existed, and by Him, all things were created. Colossians says, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things were created by Him. And through Him. And for Him. Not all other things, because He's not a created thing, but all things. And if it had its beginning, it is because Jesus Christ spoke it into existence Hebrews 1 says, In these last days God has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. Through whom also He made the world. That's Christ. And He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. Colossians 1 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By Him all things were created. That's Paul, not John, saying that. All things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And yet the Bible says not only that Christ created all things, but that God created all things. Isaiah chapter 45 is, I who made the earth and created man upon it, I stretched out the heavens... My hands ordained them and all their hosts. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Hebrews 1.10, which is an interesting reference because earlier Hebrews 1.3 says that Christ created all things. Hebrews 1.10 says, Thou, O Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Revelation 4, verse 11, Worthy are You, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and because of Your will they existed and were created. So the Bible teaches that God created everything, and the Bible teaches that Jesus created everything. Therefore, what? Jesus is God. Another way of saying it, there is only one uncreated eternal being that had no beginning, and that is God. Jesus is an eternal being that had no creation or beginning. Therefore, Jesus is God. By designating him as the creator of all things, John is further proving to us that the Word was with God and the Word was God. And John is hammering on the deity of Christ from, from two angles. First, by saying everything that had a beginning had its beginning in Christ. And second, by distinguishing between that which is created and that which is the Creator, by using two different words for to be. And we covered this last time. In verses 1 and 2, when it says the word was, me is the word in the Greek, and it simply means to continually be. He always continually was, and He was continually being at the point of creation. But then when John talks about things coming into being, he uses a different Greek word, genomai, which means to have a beginning and to come into being, and to have a creation or a starting point. So John distinguishes between the emi of Christ who always existed and the Ginomai, the beginning of all other things that did have an existence and a beginning to their existence. Now at this point I need to make two clarifications. First, when we affirm that Jesus is the creator of all things, we are in no way dishonoring the Father or the Spirit. Because God is active in His creation, in His providence, in His redemption as three persons in the one God. All three persons always act together. So we can say that the Father created all things, that the Son created all things, and that the Holy Spirit created all things, yet there are not three creators, but one Creator. Take away the one finger. One Creator. We can also say that The Father is active in redemption. The Father has saved us. The Son has saved us. And the Spirit has saved us. Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit never do anything independent of the other persons of the Trinity. You don't have the Father off running His agenda and the Son running His agenda and the Spirit doing His own thing. All of them always work together in all of their activities. So when we say that the Son created all things, we are honoring the Son as the Creator, but not denying that the Father is also the Creator and that the Holy Spirit is also the Creator. And to honor the Son is to honor the Father as well. And so we worship Jesus Christ as our Creator and as the Creator of all things. And when you walk outside and you see the beauty of a sunset and you see the world around you, it is quite appropriate to thank the Father, to thank the Son, and to thank the Holy Spirit for that marvelous creation that He has given to us and the beauty of it. Second clarification. And here's where you're going to have to think. What about evil? Some of you may be sitting here thinking, whoa, 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 Jim. Evil exists. And evil had a beginning. And if Jesus created all things that have a beginning, did Jesus create evil? Did He? No. Let me give you a syllogism. God created all things evil is a thing therefore god created evil now if my first two statements are both true then the third one must necessarily follow if god created all things if evil is a thing then god created evil now let me ask you a question did god create all things yes he did not a trick question is evil a thing It's not. Evil is not a thing. Evil has no ontological being. And by the way, I'm, just, I'm going to give you a solution to the problem of evil that was first given by Augustine and then later used by Thomas Aquinas and it's been developed by others throughout the centuries. Evil is not a thing. It has no ontology. It has no being. It's not a substance in itself. Evil doesn't exist as a thing, a created thing. Evil's not a goo that floats around the universe and sort of gloms onto people and makes us do bad things. It doesn't exist in that sense. It wasn't created. Uh, let me give you some illustrations or examples. Cold, C-O-L-D, cold is not a thing. Cold is a word we use to describe the absence of something else, namely heat. When you remove heat from a system and you slow down molecular activity, it results in cold. Now, there's no cold stuff, no created cold that sort of roams around the universe making things cold. Cold is a word we use to describe what the absence of heat. When heat is removed, you get cold. A shadow is not a thing. A shadow does not exist. Shadow is what we use to describe the absence of light. Wherever you don't have light, you have a shadow. But shadows don't exist as things in themselves. How many of you have ever eaten a donut hole? Raise your hand ever eaten donut holes? No, you haven't. Silly rabbit, you've never eaten a donut hole because donut holes don't exist. Now, they have those little sugar-coated balls of fat that they sell you that they call donut holes, and they call them donut holes because if they didn't call them donut holes, if they just called them sugar-coated balls of fat, you would never eat them because you would walk into the grocery store and you would say, should I have the maple bar or the sugar-coated ball of fat? And you would go for the maple bar because it sounds much more appetizing. But donut holes don't exist. A donut hole is the word we use to describe the absence of donut. In the middle where there is no donut, that's the donut hole. But a donut hole doesn't exist. It doesn't have a being. It's the same with evil. Evil is what we use to describe the absence of good. Whenever good is not present, we describe that as evil. In the beginning, God created all things and He created all things good. So that when He got done with His creation, He could look at it and say, it is very good. But then something happened that diminished good in His creation. There is something that happened at the fall, the entrance of sin, in rebellion, that privated, that uh, uh, deprived us of good. The result of that absence of good is what we refer to as evil. Evil as a thing does not exist. It describes the absence of something else. So is evil a thing? No, it's not. Did God create evil? No, He did not. Evil is the result of man's sin. It is what we have done to creation. And it is the absence or the lack of good. And when good is not present, we describe that as evil. Does everybody understand that? So He created all things. But He did not create evil. God did not create evil. The second, Jesus is identified as the creator. Second, He's identified as the life. Look at verse 4 in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. What kind of life is John talking about? Some would suggest that he's talking about physical life. Others would say spiritual life. The word that he uses in the Greek is zoe, not bios. Bios meaning physical life almost exclusively in Scripture. Zoe refers to spiritual life. Now, zoe, I guess, could be used to describe physical life, but it's It's not typically, and it's not in John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, he uses the word 36 times. One quarter of all the New Testament references to life come in John's Gospel. It's one of the major themes of this book, life. And John doesn't use it to speak of physical life, like plants have life, and you and I live and breathe and have our being. He's speaking of spiritual life. And here's how John uses the term life throughout his Gospel. John chapter 10 The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. Same word, spiritual life. And that they might have it more abundantly. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Spiritual life He's talking about. John 6.51, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. John 6:53 and 54 truly truly I say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood don't be disturbed by those we'll get to them in a few years you'll have no life in yourselves he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day John 5:40 you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life John 10:28 I give them that is my sheep eternal life and they will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hands John 11:25 I am the resurrection and the Life. That's how John's using it. He's talking about spiritual life. In Him is spiritual life. Now this is good news to us because we are born spiritually dead. We are born dead in our trespasses and sins. Without any spiritual life. Without any spark of divine life. Without any life in and of ourselves. Dead. You're a spiritual corpse when you come out of the womb. Dead. Dead. And I don't care if you were born to Christian parents, it gives you no advantage whatsoever because you are dead. You're not quasi-dead. You're not kind of dead with a better chance of being alive just because your parents are Christians. You're dead. You're a spiritual corpse. In Him is life. And that's our most desperate need because we are dead. We need life. In Him, He is the source. He is the fountain of all life. Not only physical, but also spiritual life and eternal life. And he is life. Jesus said in John chapter 5, the Father has life in himself and he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. One of the essential qualities and characteristics of God is that he is life. And he is life in himself and he is life without end. And he is life without any dependency. You and I are dependent upon something else for our life. In one sense, we're dependent upon our parents for that. They gave that to us in one sense. But ultimately, you and I are dependent upon God for life. He's the giver of all life, and you wouldn't exist apart from Him had He not willed it and brought you into being, nor would you continue to exist apart from Him if He didn't will it and sustain your being. All of us have derived life. God has life in Himself. Stephen Charnock, in his book, The Existence and Attributes of God, two volume set, thick, like this, small print, no pictures, he says this, and this is written in the 1600s, He, that is God, has life by His essence, not by participation. In other words, God doesn't participate in some other life source and derive His sustenance or His substance from that. He has life by His essence, not by participation. He is a Son to give light and life to all creatures, but He receives not light nor life from anything. And therefore, He has an unlimited life, not a drop of life, but a fountain, not a spark of a limited life, but a life transcending all bounds. He has life in himself. All creatures have their lives in and from him. You catch that? He's not dependent on life, for life, on any other being in the universe. His essential nature is life so that he must live and he can never diminish in life one iota. Charnock writes this, What has life in itself has life without bounds and can never desert it nor be deprived of it so that He lives necessarily and it is absolutely impossible that He should not live. Whereas all other things live and move and have their being in Him and as they live by His will so they can return to nothing at His Word. We have a derived life. God has a life in Himself. When you and I are with Christ in eternal heaven for a million millennia, having enjoyed eternal life and the life of God and basking in that life and being full of life ourselves and drawing off of His life, living by His will, existing and having by His word and by His will, sustained by His life, after a million millennia, His supply of life will not have diminished one bit. We will not have subtracted anything from Him because He is life in Himself. John says the Word was life. In saying that, He again equates the Word with whom? God, because there's only one being in all of the universe who has life in himself, whom we can say is the sum and the substance and the source and the fountain and the sufficiency of all life. The Word was life, because in him was life. Spiritual life and physical life, all forms of life. In him we move and live and have our being. He has life in himself. So Jesus is identified as the creator. Second, Jesus is identified as the life Third, I want you to see that Jesus is identified as the light. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Both light and life in this passage introduce us to themes that we will see come up over and over again in the book of John. Two major themes. Since Jesus is the light, and Jesus is the light, and He's the central character of the Gospel of John, John is going to show us for the rest of this book how Jesus claimed to be the life and the light, and how He proved Himself to be the life and the light. And light is contrasted with darkness, and life is contrasted with death. If He is the light, He must also be the light. He is light because when life is manifested, it appears as light. And that light is the light of men, and that light shines in the darkness, and that light lights every man that comes into this world. He is light and the nature of His existence is to shine forth as light because He is life. Listen to what John says about light in this Gospel. John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world, and he who follows Me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Notice how light and life are connected there. If you follow Me, Jesus says, you will have the light of life. Chapter 9 of John, verse 5, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 12 verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Chapter 12, verse 46, I have come as the light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. But we do remain in darkness, don't we? But not if we believe in Him. If we believe in Him, we get the light of life and we have illumination and we're taken out of spiritual death into spiritual life. We're taken from darkness into light. The term darkness is a term that's used to refer not to people, but to the state in which people are. Spiritual darkness, mental darkness, ethical darkness, moral darkness. Uh, It's the realm in which men who are locked and live in darkness exist. It's the kingdom of darkness. It's the spiritual state in which we are. Now listen, just as we are born without any life, any spiritual life, so we are born without any light. We are darkened in our understanding, being alienated from the life of God. Ephesians 4, verse 18. Men... Love darkness, because when we suppress the truth and unrighteousness, our foolish hearts are darkened and we live in darkness. Paul described his own ministry to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verses 17 and 18. Paul says that Jesus told him to go and preach to the Gentiles, quote, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the king dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. The gospel ministry is the gospel, the call, to come out of darkness and into light from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. We are born into the kingdom of Satan, under his dominion, as his child, a child of wrath. The call of the gospel says, come out of darkness and into light. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, we give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Then rescued from the domain of darkness. So the light is the light of life. The light shines in the darkness. And look what John says at the end of verse 5. The darkness did not comprehend it. What does he mean comprehend? If you have the King James, the New King James, the NASB, or the NIV, they will all translate it the same way. The darkness did not comprehend it. And you'll probably notice in your Bible, either in a marginal note or in a footnote, An alternate reading to that is overcome or overpower. The darkness did not overcome or overpower it. It's a word that can be taken in a number of different ways. And I'm going to give you three ways that translators and commentators have understood this verse. And I'm going to give you the way I think best fits with the context. The word is katalambano and it simply means to seize or to grasp. It can be understood to mean, to to refer to accepting something, to receive something or to appropriate it. In that sense, the Word was light and the light came into the darkness and the darkness did not accept it, did not appropriate it, did not receive it. Now, that is true because John later on says He came into the world and the world was made through Him, but the world did not know Him. He came into His own and His own did not receive Him. So it's true, the light was rejected by the darkness. A second way of understanding it would be in terms of comprehension or understanding, to grasp with the mind. The light came into the darkness, and the darkness did not understand it, did not comprehend it, didn't get it mentally. The word can be translated that way and is used that way. The problem with both of those ways of understanding it is that it means that the darkness has to be people and not a spiritual state in which we exist. But darkness is not used of people, per se, in John's Gospel. It's used of the kingdom of darkness, the darkened spiritual, moral, ethical, mental state in which lost man is. We love darkness. It's not that individual people represent darkness, but people who are locked and lost and darkened themselves exist in a state of darkness. So it doesn't make any sense to say that darkness understands something or that darkness didn't receive or appropriate something. There's another way of understanding that I think makes more sense in the context, and that is to understand it in terms of being overpowered or overtaken by something the light came into the darkness and the darkness did not overcome the light the darkness did not overpower the light john says in or jesus says in john 12 verse 35 for a little while longer the light is among you walk while you have the light so that the darkness will not overtake you that's the idea if you walk in the light the darkness will not overtake you because darkness is weaker than light all it takes to dispel darkness in one room is a candle because it is the nature of light to shine And darkness cannot overtake or put out light. If light is shining, darkness must give way. That's the idea here. The light came into the darkness, and the darkness did not, in the crucifixion of Christ or in His death, did not overpower, overcome, seize upon Him and take it as its own. The darkness did not engulf the light, which is why the light still shines today. It is the nature of light to shine. The light pushes back the darkness, and the darkness... The kingdom of darkness, spiritual darkness, moral darkness, is not powerful enough to overcome or to overtake the light. It's a statement of victory. Satan thought he had a victory on the cross, but he didn't. It was Christ who triumphed over the powers of darkness on the cross. He was victorious. He came in as the light, and the light could not suppress it. That's the idea. So, in John 1, 1 through 1-5, we see that the Word was with God as a person. The Word was God. And then John says that Word is also the One who spoke and all things came into existence. He is the Creator of all things and everything that has a beginning owes its existence to Him. Because in Him is life and it is part of His essential nature as God to have life in and of Himself. He doesn't derive it from anybody. He has it in Him. It is His essential nature as God to have life. And that life, when manifested, is light. And that light shines in the darkness. The Word is God. He is the Creator. He is life. And He is light. Now, Christian, listen. This is your God. Manifested in the flesh to take away sins. Jesus Christ is none other than God Himself. Very God of very God. Begotten, not made, without beginning, without end. Life in Himself in the flesh, to take away sins. The rest of the Gospel of John is going to prove to us that that is the case. And so what is our response? We bow our heads and we bow down and we worship Him because He is worthy of that. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You that You have revealed Yourself in Your Word and in the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You that our God has been manifest in the flesh to take away sins. Thank you that you came here into this darkness and that you were not overpowered. And thank you that you give life and light and the light of life to all who believe in your Son. May the love of our God and the grace of Christ and the presence and power of the Spirit of God go with us all now, both now and forever. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church.